Hello and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. I'm Ricky. With me is Tom, and we have Joey filling in for Zach. Hey, going? Evening, fillers. How you going? Good, good. So last week we obviously covered the four four of the first teams, which were the Broncos, Raiders, Sharks, and the Bulldogs. Uh, this week we're going to be covering the Titans, Manly, Storm, and Knights to continue the season previews of this season basically coming up it's you know it's been a been a long wait for many so literally around the corner so we'll start with the titans look obviously you know they're a side that is going through a rebuild and may well be going through a rebuild for the next couple of seasons they do have a coach in justin holbrook who from all reports you know when he was a coach up in england he's a good man manager he you know, cares about the players very much in that Bellamy mould. He's not there to be your best friend, but he's there to just be that person you can rely on. How do we envisage the Titans going? Do they have a roster that can upset teams or or is, are they in for another season where they can expect to finish in the bottom two or three teams? Yeah, look, I think you you probably find them in the bottom two or three teams again. Um, I don't think this uh, COVID period's been too kind to them, really. You look at uh, Callum Watkins, the star recruit from England, who really disappointed last season. He's gone back home, so they've lost him. Bryce Cartwright, Brian Kelly through the anti-vax stance. Um, also through injury, uh, no AJ Brimson. He's a big loss. Um, they were probably shaping to uh, fill him at fullback with Phil Sammy on the wing. So you might see Sammy drop into fullback. He could be a really interesting one to watch, I reckon, this year. Um, we saw a couple of glimpses of him at fullback, and he looked pretty good last year. Um, I remember one game against the Storm up there on the Gold Coast. He chased down uh, Josh Adokar. But, yeah, we probably need to see a few more from a couple of the big men um, with no Ryan James there as well. Um, Shannon Boyd's one to look at this year. Um, disappointing first season up there after moving up from Canberra. Um, but, yeah, things obviously didn't start well. 46-6 uh, loss to the Eels and a 24-6 loss to the Raiders. So only 12 points over two weeks. Um, yeah, Joe, what do you reckon? Uh, look, I agree 100%, mate. I, I don't think the Titans will obviously go far at all this year. Uh, according to their first two rounds of the season before COVID, you know, didn't didn't really um, match it up with, with both sides they played in the first two rounds. I, I just hope with the Titans, obviously, there's always issues uh, surrounding, you know, players and, and attitude, you know, playing up in, in the Gold Coast. I just hope they can stick with the coach, they've got at the moment and, and give him a good solid solid platform and, and and stick him out for at least a good couple, two, three years. You know, no matter how the Titans go, you know, we, we've seen in the past with coaches coming and going that teams haven't been really successful. Um, you need to stick a solid base, especially with the coach and obviously players um, for teams to be able to progress. Uh, but, yeah, definitely, um, definitely Titans... Bottom bottom four, if 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 not worse, I think. Yeah, I guess it's probably a no-brainer when you know as 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 I said, they are a side on the rebuild, and a rebuild can take quite a few years. I I did read though there was um, I think Peter Bedell put up the link from the Courier Mail. Brian Kelly is apparently going to get the shot, the flu shot. So he might. I mean, he's a can be described as an inconsistent player, but it looks like Bryce Cartwright was is going to be the only omission in terms of. The, the lack of the flu shot. So it's a bit of a boost for them, but obviously it, it, it's certainly not going to be enough to propel them into any sort of supremacy this season, I guess. Yeah, I think that you you know, you look, they've conceded the most points through two rounds and only the Warriors have scored less. And I think that, you know, Bryce Cartwright has his uh, deficiencies in defence, but, you know, we all saw what happened in 2016, was it, at Penrith? And he had just an outstanding attacking season. There's still a few glimpses of that. You know, he's got that offload out. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a tough one for the Titans. Um, funnily enough, one of the uh, the team up from the Titans in attack with only one point more, um, but everyone's talking them up, is Manly, who I think they're the next team that we're going to be talking about. As much as many fans from the outside looking in that aren't Titans fans probably think, oh, you know, can be that second team to sort of support and get behind because, you know, they've been through a lot as a as an organisation since their inception into into the National Rugby League. But it will certainly will be a long, tough slog. I mean, it's it's every every team has them and, and obviously 
that's what they're in for. You got to feel sorry for the Titans. They they cop a lot of flack, the players, um, through media and and whatnot. Um, I think they deserve a, a lot better uh, than what they get. Um, it's it's unfortunate uh, being in the um, the area they're in, but I'm sure I'm sure if they can if they can stick solid with some of these these young players that they're rebuilding with. Uh, into the future and not lose too many of them, I, I'm sure we could see the Titans at least show some glimpses of, you know, close to at least top eight um, within the next two, three years. Oh, that's just it. They've got to stick with them. But I think I think for me, a guy that probably by his own standards as well, and I, I, he came out in the media back end of last year as well, I recall, is, uh, is, is Kevin Proctor. So obviously he was... At the Storm, everyone looks like a superstar just because of how they're so well run. And it obviously, he's made the move to the Titans and been criticised a fair bit. So as a, as essentially the leader of the pack now, given that Ryan James is out with that ACL injury, as you said, Tom, mm-hmm. I think Proctor is a guy that is, if they are going to do anything and upset teams and at least have that ability to get the best out of all of their players and perform for 80 minutes and not drop out of games. Kevin Proctor is probably that 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 guy they've got to look to now. Yeah, definitely. I think also um, without Brimson in a sort of a similar vein, I think they would definitely be looking a lot to Ash Taylor. Um, again, in a very similar sense, uh, probably disappointing by his own standards last year. Um, but, you know, it was only two or three years ago we were talking about him as one of the top halfbacks in the comp in terms of um, what he was offering on attack. And he's kicking games, you know, you know, it's sensational. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how he comes back from that stint in Queensland Cup at the end of last year. Take away, um, take away whether Bryce Cartwright will be there or not um, due to this uh, flu shot scenario. Um, what do you guys think? You, you see more potential within Bryce Cartwright? Or do you think it's more of an attitude um, problem with him not stepping up every week? Uh, what are your boys' take on on Bryce Cartwright? Because I personally see a lot of potential within him, but I'm interested to get your your boys' views on him. Well, we saw at Penrith. I mean, he, he was, you know, he was having he had games where he looked like he was not scoring tries for fun, but getting on the score sheet, getting his offloads away, making the opportunities for other players and everything. And as as Tom mentioned earlier, he's he's had those glimpses at the Titans, but I don't know if it's the Titans, the the Gold Coast itself, or maybe the pressure of not having as many, not stars, but maybe other consistent players around him that has sort of made his attitude a bit lax in terms of his own football. But the potential is there, but it's just it doesn't 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 seem like he has a lot of self motivation. So if there's yeah. no player around him to really, you know, say, mate, look, you're good. We've seen what you can do. You got to do it. That's that's probably the big the, the what's been holding him back. But Holbrook might be a, might be a coach that if Cartwright eventually agrees to get this flu shot, which looks less and less likely, seeing as the cutoff date is tomorrow, Holbrook could be that coach that is that can potentially extract that Penrith like form from him. Well, well let's hope so because it's good to watch when when he was at Penrith. That's for sure. Yeah, I think even if you look at the stats, yeah, I just think. Yeah, all the off-field issues just caught up to him. You know, he was, he's played uh, 24 games in 2016, so he played you know, pretty much full season. And then he backed off to 12 games in 2017, 14 in 2018, back up to 23 last year, but he was only averaging um, 56 minutes a game um, compared to 77 minutes a game when he was at Penrith. So, yeah, fingers crossed he can get back to it, but looking unlikely. Yeah, it's unfortunate in many ways, given his talent. All right, so we'll move on to the next side. So we're going to look at the Manly Seagulls now. Again, much like in the Bellamy mould, you know that any side that's coached by Des Hasler is certainly not going to be a team you can just dismiss. And they've got the you know, the Turbo Brothers, Tommy and, and Jake, who obviously now mainstays and leaders of that side. Obviously, the big downside for them is that they do have at least at least one of them in Adam Fanua Blake, who is in this whole camp of I don't want to get the flu shot, also Dylan Walker, which presents, you know, some problems and challenges for them. Uh, you know, are Manly obviously gonna be there again under Hasler's coaching tutelage and the captain with, with 
Cherry Evans as captain, or is it going to be a bit of a take a step back year for them, given the whole uncertainty that they've got regarding a, a few of their players and this whole no flu shot? Look, I think round two, Manly against Roosters. Um, let me just start off with, I think best thing for Manly that they ever did was bring back Des Hasler. Um, I think Manly will group together, especially around Des Hasler. He's a, he's a coach that, that, just like a Ricky Stewart, you, you, your players want to win for. Um, I think, especially after round two against against East, when they got up in that victory 9-8 with that field goal from Cherry Evans, they, that match showed showed a lot for Manly, I think, for this season. And and personally, I, I believe Manly will definitely be up there, considering Tommy can stay injury-free. Um and, and the whole side as a whole could stay injury-free as, as best as possible, I think Manly will definitely definitely be up there for season season 2020. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think uh, full season from Tommy Turbo is really what's needed to be relevant there for uh, Manly at the pointy end of the season. they got you know champion halfback in Dowie Cherry Evans. I think uh, as much as we talk them up, we get that win against the Roosters, and I know they've played against pretty solid teams in the Roosters and the Storm. They were both pretty dour affairs. But, I mean, only you know only the Warriors and the Titans scored less points across those first two rounds. So I'd really like to see that attack um, start to gel a little bit more. Um, as I said, going to get better with some easier teams coming up. Um, really, irrespective of how the draw goes, you're going to get some easier teams than the Storm and the Roosters. Um, but they'll also get Jake Trebojevic back. I think he really adds a lot in terms of not only... Um, extra body in defence, but also um, that ball-playing ability. Um, it's pretty much priceless. We only really see it from a few forwards in the game at the moment. Um, probably you're looking at Tamalolo and someone like Angus Crichton and Cam Murray. Um, young bench. Um, it'd be interesting to see how some, how some of their forwards go. Um, guys like Tafoa Sipley. It'd be interesting to see how they go in their first first uh, years, really, in the, in the big league. Um, but, yeah. I think that if Tom Trebojevic can stay fit for the full season, he could be coming really close to a Dally M season for him. So with Manly, so how do we think that their side is going to be affected? Obviously, Manassi Fayinu is not there. We know that for he was had the had the injury and then was involved in that goodness knows what happened sort of weird church shooting. Or obviously they've got Danny Levi coming in now. Do we see Levi as being the that sort of hooker that is going to guide them around, like Fainu sort of did when he'd come on, or Coruscant when when he was still at Manly, just that guy that nippy around the ruck and is going to find the gaps, penetrate the gaps, or are we expecting Levi to just stick to his natural game, which is more more the defensive side? No, definitely, definitely Levi. He's he's got that nippy side of him. Uh, I think he's got that potential of of knowing when to run the ball from from dummy half. Um, he, he's shown signs of it in the past. He's he's definitely got a good read for the game um, in that hooking role. I think I think Levi won't won't let the team down whatsoever. Um, he'll definitely step up to the occasion and 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 put and put his uh, front foot forward for Manly. Fair enough. I think pro- probably a guy that I'm looking at in the Manly side that I think is is prime for a big year is Curtis Sirenen. So he was you know he's sort of he was he was started off really well for Manly, sort of had those that, those injuries that he, he sent effectively, you know, ruled him out for quite some time. But now that he's back, especially with this prolonged preseason and everything now, so he's he's he'll certainly add something on the edge that that Manly have probably missed with his replacement. So any time any time you've got two solid edge players, it obviously propels your team forward to to perform at a consistent level, basically. So I think as well a guy that he was certainly very good in his in, in his debut season. I mean, if you didn't have guys like Payne Haas or Mike Acevo, he probably would have gotten a lot more notoriety from the media, especially. He's probably Ruben Garrick. So this is, this is a guy that's come over from from the Dragons who many thought that probably, oh, you know, he's not ready and he's, he's not in that mould of first grade just yet. But, you know, he came in, he certainly made the most of his opportunities and, and can kick a goal from the sideline like like the best of them. So it'll be interesting to see if he can continue that form and sort of propel himself into that, that next level winger. Yeah. I think he really benefits from having a great half like Cherry Evans um, in the squad. I think just that kicking game really gets him involved. 
Um, pretty solid at the back as well. Um, I think, yeah, they've probably got a good one there. And Ruben Garrick, he'll be there for a couple of years to come, I reckon. A great big loss to the Dragons um, was Ruben Garrick when they let him go. Uh, Manly definitely picked up a good, a good winger. One I, I do want to mention as well, uh, he played a few games in the back end of the season for Manly last year, who could also fill in with it in that role, a bit of depth for Manly as well as Abbas Miski. Um, strong player, Josh Mansour lookalike. Um, I thought he did very well for, for Manly in the back end, and, and he's someone we may see in the future for, for Manly as well. Yeah, baby Mansour, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to the Melbourne Storm. Now, obviously, every year for the last, what, three or four seasons, people have been saying, oh, this is the year that Melbourne is going to fall out of the eight. Yeah, this is the year that they're going to crumble because they lost this and they've lost that. Obviously, we know all about Cooper Cronk and Billy Slater and what they brought to the team and, you know, won numerous games, numerous premierships. You know, they did it. How long have we been saying that for? <laughs> that, that's just it. That's, that's, oh. that's, that's, you know, everyone's thought every year, oh, yeah, this is the year that the Storm are going to finish out of the eight and everything. But, you know, you look at the side, when you have a coach like Bellamy, when you have arguably the best player in the game in Cameron Smith, who, with the snap of the fingers, can turn a game on its head, obviously you can never discount them. Is this the year that they get discounted, or are we expecting the Storm to push for that top four spot once again? Yeah, I think that we'll find them at the pointy end again. Um, no surprises here. Um, you know, equal favourites to take out the comps still. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how old this side gets, um, especially Cameron Smith. You know, I don't think in recent memory there's been many players that as they've come closer to retiring, they're, they're you know, just as good as they were five years ago. Um, I think, obviously, they're relatively unaffected by injury at the moment. They'll get Brandon Smith back from that facial fracture he suffered during the All-Stars game. Um, they lose Harry Grant up to the, the Tigers, but they get Paul Momorowski in that swap deal. Um, I think he'll add some really good depth in the backs. Um, they were probably missing one quality centre there. Um, they had, you know, two guys who were solid there um, in Seve and Olam. Um, but I think Momorowski will definitely add a bit of um, a bit of spark if they put him into the starting side. Obviously, got that um, those two wins against Manly and Cronulla. Pretty sort of um, lackluster affairs. Wasn't much in it. Largely defensive games. But um, I think, yeah, we'll be seeing uh, more of the same from Melbourne this year. Um, I think we saw a little bit of it last year as well, but I think um, no origin during the season this year um, will definitely help out Melbourne. Obviously, last year they didn't lose Smith to origin, but this year they won't be losing Munster, um, Kafusi, or any of their other representative players. So I think that will definitely benefit them moving forward. Yeah, Melbourne, mate, what can you say? They'll definitely be there, without a doubt. You know, you just look at the, the depth they just bring in um, each year, you know, especially now with Ryan Pappenhausen at fullback, he's just electric. So much, you know, so much potential, so much, you know, such a bright future for the bloke, um, filling in, you know, Billy Slater's shoes, and and he's already shown that that he's ready for it. At Balmain Junior, they tend to uh, bring out a lot of good players out of out of that district, and you know, looking forward to to you know Cameron Munster. You know, he's, he's shown that he'll just step in, in those shoes straight away. And I guess Craig Bellamy just knows how to bring the best out of all these these young players that have come in, you know, since the loss of Slater and and Kronk, et cetera. They're just all-round all round, um, side that, that won't give up and their forwards are just perfect, you know. They're not they're, they're just absolute athletes these days. And, and Melbourne, yeah, definitely definitely will be up there. Yeah, I think you even, you even have a look at a guy like Tui Kamikamika. Um, he had an absolute ripper first two games of the season. Um, obviously, he was playing some extra minutes there while a sofa Solomona was out injured. I think you'll find in round one. But such a solid player. Probably won't even get a spot in the starting squad, but um, you'd probably find him either starting at prop or at lock in most other teams in the comp. So Yeah, well, Kamika Mika was the guy I was going to mention. You know, he sort of he, he bounced around for a little bit and ended up at the storm. And as you said, Tom, you know, the first couple of games, he's... He certainly looked like he's come a long way. He just bashes the line. He's just just that no nonsense forward, and was rewarded with that try where he literally just sparks over the top of defenders, like like they weren't even standing there. So 
that's the storm for you. Know, that's 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 what Bellamy does. He just he knows the players he wants, what what he needs to do to get out of them, and and they respond to him. It's just just that sort of coach that players want to play for, and we've seen that with countless players over the past ten to twelve years that you know have been other teams' discards and. They become superstars at the Storm. You can you can rattle off a whole team of, of players like that. Yeah, big year as well, I think, for Jarome Hughes. Um, no Brody Croft around anymore. Um, obviously, Cooper John's still sort of working around in the wings, but I think we'll probably wait another year or two to see him um, in first grade. But I think uh, with little pressure on the starting spot, spot now, um, I think Hughes is in could be in for a big year. Um, they really need, obviously... They've been yearning for that guy like Cooper Cronk to come through and just push them to that next level. Um, obviously, no one's expecting Hughes to be a Cooper Cronk, but he can really add something with that running game, I think. Um, I think both his second rowers running off him um, will definitely benefit off that. And, yeah, I think it could be could be a decent year for him this year. I think I think with Munster and Hughes, 5'8", halfback, I, you know, really looking forward to, to watching them um, throughout the 2020 season. Uh you know, especially with the with the forwards they have around them, they, they just they just go forward. Melbourne, uh, you know, they're they're very fit side, and I think that will benefit Hughes and and, and you know, obviously Munster, and I, I think they're the future of the Melbourne Storm. Yeah, I think we'll be even though they haven't scored a lot of points so far. That outside back combo of Addo Carr and Vuni Valu on the other side, and then you add Pappenhausen through the middle um, with some guys like a Solomona who are capable of scoring tries. You know. Straight down, straight down the guts. I think that they'll be one of the best attacking teams this year. Yeah, you got You probably have to be a madman to bet against the Storm, not making the eight, let alone the top four. Uh, so we'll move on to the Newcastle Knights. So, you know, they're certainly they they look didn't look too bad under new coach Adam O'Brien. Obviously, there was a lot of uncertainty about what he would bring to the table, how the players would respond. But I mean, the Knights have the roster to. To push the big sides, obviously, yet any side that's got Kalen Ponger and Mitchell Pearce, obviously losing Jaden Braley to the ACL injury wasn't ideal, but they do have a, a handy replacement in Connor Watson to fill in that hooker role. Are the Knights a side that can break, not their hoodoo, but sort of break their run of perhaps not fulfilling their potential and, and cracking anywhere from that fifth to eighth spot even higher? In your view, I think I think the Knights the Knights have been a bit of a disappointment um, within the last couple of years. You know, there's there was a lot of high expectation from Newcastle. Obviously, as you mentioned, their roster great great looking roster on paper. I just don't think obviously they've 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 hit that mark just as yet. Um, with the new coach on board now, you know, the the first two rounds of the season, you know, two two and zero oh, um, against the Warriors and then the Tigers. Uh, I, I think this, I think this is their their season um, that will see them at their at their best um, compared to the last couple of years with the roster they have. They've had a they've had a good few you know good two to three years to be able to gel together with the likes of Pierce in at halfback, uh, fit, you know Lachlan Fitzgibbon and and uh, you know the, the likes of Saifidi. Um, SESE, you know, they, they've had these players for, for a little bit now, and Ponga at fullback. I think this year we'll see a lot more out of Newcastle um, than previous years, uh, but I, uh, I don't believe they'll be, you know, the, the likes of your, your eastern suburbs, Sydney Roosters, uh, Melbourne Storm and whatnot, but I think we'll see the best out of Newcastle this year, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, looking forward, obviously, no Ponga in that first round will probably hurt. Um, we'll get a little glimpse into the future, though, with Tex Hoy coming in. Um, he'll be a really interesting player to see how he goes. Got to um, love his name. Yeah, yeah. One of the greats, I think, in uh, in our current uh, game. There's not many with those real exotic names. But um, I think, for me, Dave Clemmer needs a big year this year. Obviously, he sort of goes under the radar, I think, a little bit there at Newcastle. Um, I think, you know, Ponga tends to get all the headlines. But I think Clemmer had a big year last year, and I think he needs another one this year. First two rounds, he seemed to have developed a little bit of a nice offload, um, which is something he hasn't really had in his repertoire the last few years as much as we probably expect out of those real top-tier forwards. Um, the outside backs really need to gel. New combos out there with guys like um, Shibasaki, 
and Anari Tuawa was also there in the first few rounds. You might see Bradman Best get a crack. We saw him a few times last year, so um, another good kid they've got there. Um, obviously, Edric Lee had an absolute field day over uh, Dave Nofaluma in that second round. I jumped him about three times. But for me, the really interesting guy at Newcastle this year uh, is Connor Watson. Uh, I think that um, Jaden Braley probably was set for that uh, main hooking role for most of the year. Regulations um, surrounding the, the number of players allowed to train and be around the club. Well, that's just it. Eh? I mean, the Knights have certainly struggled for consistency and gelling as a team. So if they are going to do it, this is going to be that year, seeing as they're certainly... Well, I mean, when Ponga comes back in, in round four, but Ponga, Man, Pierce, and then Watson will certainly have time to, to gel as a unit. So their hopes probably do hinge a lot on those four and sort of how they can help lead the side around the park in their respective ways. So I think for me, probably a guy that I'll... Not to keep an eye on, but I think is is set for a, set for a big year. Is probably Sione Matautia. So I mean, so we know he was started out as a center. Sort of there was a lot of a lot of uncertainty about whether was he going to be a center, was he going to be a back rower. But the last eighteen months, he's made that transition to the back row. And before he got that that injury, was around two. Was he got an injury? But, but it wasn't for long anyway. So he's probably going to be going to come into the mix to play. Sort of, he's a, he's not not a huge body, but he he just knows how to run the ball hard and sort of can hit hit a good hole. And you, you know, every every team needs that sort of back rower that can just run hard and just hit the line at speed to at least, if not get the full break, you get the half break. And with a good support player, that can lead to anything. Yeah, I think that the second rowers will be really key for Newcastle. I think as well as Matadio, Lockie Fitzgibbon on the other. On the other edge, it's really important to get that combination going um, just to create that doubt in the defender's mind whether you want to go out the back to Ponga or hit the short ball. Uh, Fitzgibbon's such a powerful runner. I think it was two or three years ago we saw him score all those tries and just go on a massive run. Um, I think we could see something similar with him that we saw with Ryan James in that sort of try-scoring vein from the Fords this year. Any last thoughts on the Knights, Joey? No, just, I just personally, yeah, just personally think... Um, that, like you said, if it's going to be their, their year, it's going to be this year. They're really going to have to um, put a show on, um, not just for their fans, but but beyond that, um, especially with the, the new coach on board. Um, they've definitely got players in there. Um, so, yeah, Newcastle Newcastle definitely will be, um, will I think will definitely show um, their strengths this year. Yep, time will tell. Certainly new coach, new system, so... Guess it's only a matter of time to see how they do fare. So, right, so we'll move on to some some news that has certainly been making a lot of people talk. So let's start with good old Nathan Cleary. So we all know the story. He in, had initially said that these girls were at his house for ten minutes with all these social distancing rules and 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 laws in place given the COVID nineteen. We found out that he that he was lying not once. But in the end, twice. So he didn't tell, didn't tell the club, didn't tell the the rugby league commission. Oh, it wasn't my house. All of this stuff, and so people are not very happy in terms of how it's been dealt with. He's got a two match ban, plus uh, I think about thirty five k in total if you include what the NRL find him and then what police have find him. Is that enough, or should he have been suspended for longer? Given how much he didn't tell and had to be coaxed out of him through through the media and and through other other sources that weren't his own honesty. Yeah, I think that obviously it wasn't the get the look the game was after. I think it was had uh, every every rugby league fan with their head in their hands on that one. Um, I think the suspensions were good. I think they needed to happen. Also, I think it's in terms of the length of the suspension, it, it's walking a bit of a fine line. Um, I think they've probably got the balance right on this one. Obviously, you don't want to suspend him for too long as a star player of the game. Obviously, you can't give preferential treatment. But, you know, it, we're looking at the NRL being one of the first sports to open up. You know, we need our best product on display. You know, we could send this this sort of um, the, the game to America um, and all over the world as people sort of um, really are longing for some sports to return. 
yeah, just especially considering how long the game's been out for, I think, um, yeah, it was a terrible look. Uh, definitely screwed my super coach side, that's for sure. Um, but I think another uh, important piece in this is Tyrone May. Um, obviously, he was also suspended for two games, I believe, and fine. Yes. Um, not a great look for him, obviously, after what happened last year. But also the fact that, I mean, he was already serving a suspension, but takes him out as an option to replace Cleary as well. Big disappointment with Cleary, I think. Um, you know, he's, he's one of the good guys. Uh, he's normally, he's always, he's always out, you know, um, out of, you know, the scene of, of um, cameras, you know, after, after footy. He's, he's, he's a good guy. He, you know, I've, I've catched him at, at, at a couple of times out at, at, at Panthers uh, Sports Club and he'd sit there, he'd have a drink, but he'd just sit there while his mates are up being rowdy and, yeah, he knows, he knows he's got to set an example. So with Nathan, this was a big, big disappointment. Um, you know, I think for everyone um, in, in general, not just Penrith supporters, uh, but I, I definitely think uh, I do agree. I, I think the two weeks is fair enough. Uh, you know this this TikTok, mate. I don't know. You know I, I don't even know how to how to use the bloody thing. Never have in my life. But um, you know I've got the missus who tries to get me to to do TikTok videos with her, and I, I blankly refuse. And and she still you know asks me and asks me to to, to do them, and um, she knows she she will never get it out of me. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just don't. Don't understand, but Craig Craig Bellamy has you know you, you had the likes of um, the Storm players coming out and and you know throwing themselves out on social media. Craig Bellamy came out and and put a stance out straight away and said you know when the season starts you know no phones from when you're back at training. Um, I, I think that's a great thing. I think a lot of people a lot of coaches and should implement um, this. I, I know it's a bit hard. Uh, we're all about social media these days. Um, but you know, it, it's all about sponsors. It's all about um, you know the, the fans and and you know everyone else out there is trying to do good. And then when you know people see see the likes of Nathan Cleary, Josh Adokar, and um, and Latrell Mitchell do what they did, you know, it, it's a big disappointment for the fans. Yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head there with the sponsors. Um, or bringing up the sponsors there. I think that um, you only have to look as far as what happened to the Bulldogs in the preseason with um, Jade Nockerbore and Corey Hawiranara. And already, I think the Bulldogs are really feeling that um, the financial pressure because of that. They were on the verge of a, of a sponsor, weren't they? Before yeah, yeah. Those, that incident? Yeah, with Rache's, the the um, the restaurant yeah. chain. Look, I mean, they haven't, they haven't ruled out a return, but, you know, this is rugby league where anything can happen. So, you know, as I said, it, it, it's probably... You look at it and you probably think, yeah, Cleary's suspension slash fine probably fits the crime, even if, you know, people aren't happy with how he went about it. But, look, the rugby, rugby league world has made their decision, so it's just a case of accepting that and, and yeah. I'm sure I'm sure, I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll learn from this, um, the players, especially especially with now Peter Valandis, um, you know, on the, you know, within the administration – uh, I, I think I think he wants to look after his players as best as possible um, and give them the benefit of the doubt. But obviously, when you go out and you and you want to lie, then you know he's he's obviously going to be harsh about it. And and I think players will start to learn that okay, um, you know Peter Valandis and Co are, are really on our side, but we got to look after them as well, so they'll look after us basically. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, at the end of the day, you want. You want an organisation that, from from the top down, everyone understand each other and everyone is on the same page to make sure that you have the as good a product as possible. Uh, so we'll we'll move on to and we'll just just touch on it briefly. The whole ongoing anti-vax situation. Obviously, the Queensland government, much like our our Prime Minister Scott Moran has said, there's the whole no jab, no play policy. So obviously that further put doubt into Cartwright and initially Brian Kelly's future in the rugby league before Kelly made the decision to, to have the vaccination. Is that is that the right approach? Just literally get the get the flu shot or you don't play or 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 do they have to 
consider differing, albeit controversial views from players and to a lesser extent the players' partners? Look, I'm all for um, players having their rights and what goes in their, in, into their bodies. Um, they have a right of choice, uh, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you, at the end of the day, you're getting paid big, big dollars. You, you've got a job to do. Uh, you've seen other sectors of the workforce uh, being forced to take uh, vaccinations. Um, otherwise, you can't uh, work within those workforces. So, I, I, look, at the end of the day, I think these players just need to pull their heads in, get the vaccination, get on with it, play your game, get your income. You've got family to support. Why put anything on the line as such over a vaccination? Um, it's... It, there's there's no evidence about anything about vaccinations. I I understand completely. We get we get information from one end to the you know from one end saying vaccines are bad. We get information saying it's the best. But at the end of the day, you got to follow the advice of uh, of the medicals, and you got to trust in them. You got to trust in your governments, um, and fellow you know partners, and and I guess and move on from there. Yeah, I'm with you. Just. Stick with the medical advice on this one. I mean, no one's forcing them to get this shot, but obviously there's consequences if they don't. I think that's the key thing. You know, you don't have to get it, but if you don't get it, you can't play. Um, in terms of the rugby league, though, I think that um, we already touched on Manly. Um, obviously, I'm not really sure with Dylan Walker what the difference between the flu injection is and whatever he was doing a few years ago. Um, but it could really also hurt Canberra um, with, obviously, Soliola, Papali and Tarpi. And obviously, if the Queensland government are saying that um, they can't play, I mean, even if the NRL does sort of strike some sort of middle ground in New South Wales um, and the ACT, it could have some pretty big ramifications moving forward, especially if um, teams like Brisbane and the Cowboys go deep. Um, some matchups there, you know, you could be seeing North Queensland with Taumalolo playing against Canberra without Soliola, Papali or Tarpani up there. So, you know, that doesn't sound great for the Raiders. No, not at all. I guess it's just it's an ongoing scenario. You know, players make up their own minds, their own decisions, and not everyone will agree, but for their own reasons, that's what they believe. And much like with the Cleary thing, you sort of just have to be like, right, you know, it is what it is and, and accept it. So we'll move on now to... Wrestle in the Ruck was just controlling the game. I remember just before we swapped over to two referees, the game just was so slow. It was so structured. And I think that once we got down to that two-referee system, the game really uh, sped up. Um, we left a lot, a lot more room for fatigue, uh, which is something that we're all about now. You know, people saying, oh, let's well with the interchange. Um, but I think this could just do undo all the hard work. Um, I think that um, an interesting point also is the six-again rule that's being brought in with the... Um, you know, no penalties for ruck infringements. The referee will just call six again, blow the whistle, and it'll be play on. I'm not quite sure how that will work. You know, if a team's coming out from their 10, you know. I think I, re yeah. I think I recall they trialled it in the All-Stars game, but it didn't work very well. Obviously, it's obviously the reception that they got from it was not, not good. So it is an interesting one. I mean. Yeah, look, first of all, mate, I'm all for the one referee. Bring it on. I'm excited. I can't wait. It's something, uh, you know, I've personally been calling for for them to bring back uh, for a long time. Sure, they brought it back just before a season, you know, restarting after COVID. Um, you know what? Yes, I... I applaud Peter Valandis, um, who went and decided to do this after meeting with coaches who were against it. I'm sure referees uh, would have been against it. Um, but I completely applaud him, not just for the cost-cutting, but for the game itself. Um, I, just, I just think with two referees, we just have too much confusion. They just don't set... It, with two referees, it should be one controlling the ruck, the other making the decisions. But the one controlling the ruck, yelling at the players to, to release and get off and make them get off a lot quicker, 
and the, and the referee um, keeping the players back the ten makes all the makes all the decisions. But it just became a, a fest of um, everyone having their own opinions, and then you know million things through the referee's ear saying this is a penalty, and then one, and then another referee saying no, it's not. So they changed their decision, and it was proven in the in the in the Canberra game with the six again call. Um, you know, so I'm all for it. Uh, will it slow the game down? Personally, um, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, if anything, if they get their referees' mindset on refereeing the game correct, I think we can just get the game flowing uh, just as well as we would with having two referees there. Um, it used to happen in the past. I think we can do it again. I think there might be a few other things they need to do to make the game flow. And that's possibly drop drop the interchange uh, from eight to six, especially with the amount of head knocks um, the players get now and, and free interchanges they get from that. Um, I, I think dropping the interchange now would be perfect. And simple solution: get rid of your wrestling coaches, and and we, you know, and and we're perfect. We will see the game flow once again. You know, um, I think the wrestling has just just been such a such a dent on on rugby league that uh, that they need to you know step in and, and ban all wrestling coaches and uh, you know and ban ban it completely. I, I can certainly see why one referee is what a lot of people do want to go for, but I think it it honestly just depends on how the game is refereed as well because we've certainly seen a lot of inconsistencies. Not not just when it comes to offside, not just when it comes to ruck, but in general with the way that rugby the way that rugby league referees are coached or not coached even. You know, we've certainly Tony Archer came under a lot of criticism when he was the re- head of the referees for not really bringing any sort of blanket refereeing rules into the structure. So one week you would see hypothetically Grant Atkins make a decision. And then the next week you would see Henry Perinara make a different decision. Not that they did, but just for hypothetical purposes. So I think if they can put in a set structure and, and get referees to just have a, have a one blanket rule. So if something happens, bang, you call a penalty rather than sort of trying to leave it up to interpretation and, and have referees making different decisions. Cause I think that's what put fans offside quite a lot. So for me personally, although I am in favor of two referees, I think, one can work so long as there's that universal structure in place to make sure that there is as few inconsistencies as as possible. Because the last few years, whether it was one ref or two, we just saw so many different calls made that affected teams in different ways, and that caused the ire of a lot of the fans with, with referees in general. And I'm sure going back to one ref now our touches are going to have to do a lot more work uh, than they have since 2009, since they brought in the uh, second referee. So touches are going to be working a lot harder and communicating with the referee in the middle a lot more now. Um, you know, we've got the bunker. We've got so many camera cameras on the field. You know, we've got the technology of refs being spoken to in the ear um, from, from the bunker, et cetera, or touches. So, you know... I think I, I just applaud the Landys for coming out and and making the decision. It, it, it it's obviously not going to people aren't going to appreciate. They don't like the rules being changed halfway through the season or such and such. But I think he knows what he wants and he's bringing it. Um, I'm going to trust in the in the in the process and um, and I think moving forward, um, I think it's it's the best thing for the game. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess we'll see. We can see how it's going to pan out and. And go from there. That's really all that all that we as the fans can do. But hey, foot, I guess foot is back, so we sort of can't can't we can complain, but not complain too much. That's it. Uh, so we'll move on to sort of the ongoing news in terms of Josh Reynolds. So obviously we know he's currently at the West Tigers. There's this whole speculation, which a lot of fans seem to be against if they're if they're from the Bulldogs, is about getting Josh Reynolds back. Do the Bulldogs need Josh Reynolds or is he a guy that they should probably pass on 
I think a lot uh, hinges on Kieran Foran. Um, obviously, I think I'm not really sure where he fits in initially if Foran's there with Lewis, as well as having um, guys like Wakeham and Avarillo waiting in the wings. Um, but obviously, you'd have to think now Foran's probably on the way out um, within you know the next few years, um, sort of looking at retirement with that all that injury history. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully he can come back and really show us a bit of a, a glimpse of that manly form he was in uh, many years ago. Um, obviously, I think Reynolds, yeah, in his game time at the Tigers, his defence is pretty good. Um, he's still capable of sparking, you know, some some pretty good attacking play like he used to be, just off the cuff style of play. But um, you know, from, I'm a Tigers fan, so from the Tigers' perspective, I think it's probably a good move for us. You know, clears up some cap. Um, you've got um, Walters, now Grant as well in there. Harry Grant's big addition for the Tigers, um, as well as, you know, Benji, Brooks, uh, Moses Zemmai, Corey Thompson, all in that spine there. So I think, you know, there's only room for so many and um, that could definitely be used to get some um, some better forwards at the club. Could, yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, understand the situation of Tigers uh, releasing him. Uh, too, you know, too much depth within within that role. Uh, but yeah, look, Josh, he's, you know, he's. I think it fits well with Canterbury, personally, um, especially with um, with them trying to bring in that that um, that that style of play, the old old bulldog style of of tough and and that mongrel style. And I, I think it fits him well uh, at Canterbury more to, more so than the Tigers. Should they have taken him uh, back? Uh, personally, I probably would have attempted to go, f- you know, for maybe more like a James Maloney, um, more over a, uh, a Josh Reynolds, um, especially with the money that Canterbury have got to uh, to throw around at the moment. But, uh, look, um, he's a passionate player. doesn't matter who he pulls on the jersey for. Um, he'll 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 step in and play well, considering obviously he stays clear of any injuries, um, which was shown at the Tigers. He's just constant, uh, you know, constantly injured. Um, and the season, you know, the Tigers get, you know, with him fresh, thinking he may play a full season, and and now he's going to Canterbury. So so let's just see, wait and see what happens with with Josh. But but yeah, definitely um, definitely fits a lot better at Canterbury than he than he will at the Tigers, I believe, especially with with the way Canterbury do play their their football versus the Tigers. Yeah, and I think that um, as well, if you look at um, Lockie Lewis being a very, the typical halfback mould, you know, good kicking game, plays out the back, the old show and go, he, he doesn't mind. Um, I, think but, I think you're right. He flies under the radar a little that long. Yeah, that long yeah definitely. Lewis. He's, he's got so much potential. I, yeah, and I think that, what he really needs next to him. And I think it's almost the opposite of Anthony Milford. So up at Brisbane, we're always talking about Milford needs that controlling halfback, the guy that can just steady the play, kick, play out the back, and then Milford can do all the play off the cuff. I think Milwaukee Lewis needs someone that can play off the cuff because I think you've got him controlling one side. And I think when you put someone next to him, even to an extent, Kieran Foran, I think it just becomes too much, too structured, too predictable out the back. And, you know, if you had that explosive guy that can just, you know, zip around, duck in between defenders, you know, whether Reynolds can still do that at his age, you know, obviously not what he was, you know, five, ten years ago. But still, you know, great player. Would you would you throw him straight in the um, in the dummy half role or, uh, over Jeremy Marshall King or would you just throw him on the bench and 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 bring him on as an impact player um, for, for Jeremy Marshall? I think... Marshall King should stay. I think that he's earned the role now. I think that, you know, obviously there was a year or two there where he was sort of, you know, battling Michael Leisha for the position. And I think he's now really earned that position. And I think that he had a really great season last year. Obviously, the Bulldogs just had a shocking season in general. Obviously, you know, a bit of a late season resurgence there. But I think that some of the players, as we were talking about with Lockie Lewis, um, Marshall King as well, probably didn't get the credit they deserved for that season just because they didn't have you know, didn't have the strength in the forwards and didn't quite, you know, have enough going on out the back. But um, I think, yeah, you know, 
obviously there's some positives there. You put Hopawade at fullback. I think we spoke about him last week. And, you know, you've got some potential there for a pretty decent spine. Yeah, he's certainly a, can be a very polarising figure, Josh Reynolds. So I guess it remains to be seen whether he does get that Tigers release to go back to the dogs. And rugby league is a strange game, so you never know. It could be one of those things that happens the day before the start of the season. So I guess we're just going to wait and find out. I thought we'd briefly touch on Big League magazine. So the announcement was made today that it will not be available for twenty twenty the remainder of the 2020 season. Obviously, they did the first two rounds. It's been a much-loved magazine for goodness knows how many years, and many careers have been forged from that. Is the lack of a, an official rugby league magazine hurting the game in any way, or, or is it just one of those things that has happened, which most likely has happened as a result of, of COVID-19? Firstly, yeah, I think, so many yeah. boys have magazine, big league magazine galore in your cupboard. Mate, I have one sitting on my desk right here, round two. <laughs> I'm reading it right now. But I'll go back as far as 2001, and, and, and they're, they're just loaded up, mate, loaded up. Yeah, I think I've got every big league grand final uh, preview for the last 15 years um, sitting here. So, um, yeah, obviously, I think it is a big blow. You know, people argue that, you know, magazines they're going obsolete now but i think you know everyone still loves big league um you know my thoughts go out to um maria salas the editor over there and um all the you know great journalists that are in there you know obviously um i'm studying at the moment to become a sports journalist and you know big league's always somewhere that i've thought you know could work in the future so i'd love to see them back just you know i think probably what they do there is something that we're trying to emulate here just you know um, just an unbiased look at the game, just, you know, providing the facts and for all the uh, stats gurus like myself, you know, there's nothing like flicking through the, the game day section and just uh, checking out the uh, the head-to-heads and the um, the form guide uh, pre-game. So, yeah, you know, definitely a big blow. I guess it's just an unfortunate event, um, you know, with, with what's been happening around the world and, and we're seeing it with, with uh, a lot of businesses in general. Um, but I'm sure... I'm sure we will get uh, something back within the you know near future, and um, and hopefully it will continue, especially for for our our you know our young generation and and kids, for example, because um, it's something we definitely loved growing up. And but um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be something uh, beyond the horizon. Yeah, I think well, something I'd really love to see as well is I'd love to see them ex- use this as a bit of a time to experiment with some different forms i'd love to see them go online um obviously a little bit of a different business model there but i think that there's probably a great opportunity for that and a great space for that online so it'd be really interesting to see how it comes back and yeah hopefully they can take this um bit of adversity and turn it into a bit of opportunity that's just it i mean it's certainly you don't like to see anyone lose their job especially well so many have across numerous industries but i guess being being passionate rugby league fans, you sort of you always feel even more for people that are involved in the game that we're also invested in. But hopefully they all do get back on their feet and sort of find opportunities as as we slowly get back to some form of normality and and may yet you know may yet come back for 2021. So I guess it's a waiting game to see what what the go is there. But certainly sad for all involved. Yeah, and I think you, know, you touched on it, Joe, as well. I think that you know, big league over the years has been such a great breeding ground for a number of our, you know, rugby league journalists. You know, look at someone even like um, Danny Wider, Channel Nine. I was reading this afternoon a tweet from him. He got his start from big league. I'm sure there's you know plenty of other stories similar to his. Yeah, just one of those things, unfortunately. So hopefully, as I said, for 2021, it comes back and and you know people can keep talking about league again. In, in that magazine format that was certainly popular for their feature articles. Uh, so the last thing that we'll touch on today, obviously we've seen many great players come and go over the, not just the last 20 years, but over the last 100 years, 110 years, however long it's been. But we'll, we'll focus more specifically on the last 20 years. So we've seen lots of very good fullbacks sort of, a lot of fullbacks that have gone under the radar. So we're pick, if you were to pick your, your five top 
fullbacks of the last 20 years? Who have we got? Uh, yeah, so obviously I think, you know, you nailed it there. I think, you know, I don't reckon there's been a time in the last 20 years better than right now for fullbacks. You look at guys like James Tedesco, Tom Trebojevic, uh, Charles Nickel Kokstad, Roger Tovaschek, they're all up there. I think, you know, it's just a, you know, a real um, sweet time to to watch fullbacks. And I think, you know, obviously they're some of the most exciting players in our game. And I think that, um, yeah, it's really exciting times ahead for the league. In terms of my top five, um, I've got number one. I think it's pretty hard to argue with Billy Slater. Obviously the consistency. Uh, yeah, he might not be as flashy as some of the other guys on the list in terms of at their peak, were they unstoppable? But I just think, you know, obviously won 2012 and 2017, as well as the two stripped competitions, benefits from having some great players and a great system and a great coach. But, you know, just he really revolutionised the position, I think. Um, number two, I've got James Tedesco. Um, I think probably has really dominated the last sort of seven years um, at the fullback spot and has really taken Slater's mantle now as, you know, the number one in the game, pretty much undisputed. Um, number three, I've got Brett Stewart. Um, obviously, won that comp um, with Manly in 2008, where they really dominated, as well as in 2011. Um, it had a number of great years there. Really great strike rate as well for um, Brett Stewart. Obviously, Slater has the number of tries. But in terms of games played, Stewart's um, right up there in terms of tries per game. Um, number four, Jared Hayne, pretty much riding off that 2009 season, which we all remember. Um, just unbelievable. Um, pretty much he'd probably be the guy that if you could have one of these guys in their prime, you'd take him, I reckon, every day of the week. And then the last one is Tom Trebojevic. I think just, obviously, I think he was, over the last few years, a bit of a victim of his own versatility. But I think he's really now found that spot at fullback. And, I mean, even the stuff he's doing in the centres at Origin is, you know, unbelievable. Yeah, couldn't argue with that, mate. No, that top five, uh, very well said. And, uh, yeah, look... My top five is almost the same. A couple couple others in there I've thrown uh, that are different. Um, my number one, I have to go James Tedesco uh, over Billy Slater. Uh, I, as you said, look, Billy's great with his consistency and, and whatnot. Uh, but I, I've just gone over to James just because I think he, he plays that role a lot better within, you know, with ball movement and passing and his accuracy in passing and and his footwork, I, I just think I just think he he outsmarts Billy in in those situations. Obviously, take nothing away from Billy Slater, awesome player, great player, um, has has highlighted some great moments in rugby league. Um, but uh, yeah, I have to go James over over Billy in second, Billy Slater in second position. Um, my third, I'm going to go. Um, a, a, you know, a player who's you know hasn't been in the game for a little while now, but Anthony Minicello. Um, I thought he was a very tough um, fullback, um, not afraid. You know, under the high ball, uh, you know, getting on the ball before before anyone. He was always there, um, always in support. Uh, I just think uh, I think Mini. Mini was a, was a great player in that fullback role, and and look, that fullback role has changed so much. It, you know, it's more important than than a half halfback nowadays. You know, having a good fullback, they just they just their ball movement and and and, and I think Minicello was one of the first to really show how important a fullback was um, within the modern era. Um, so yeah, definitely Mini in third, and and I've gone number four. I've gone Brett Stewart. Um, again, Brett Stewart was was always there. Um, had a long long stint, you know, career at Manly, uh, you know. So he, he gelled well with everyone around him. Uh, always had a great coach under him. Um, and Brett, you know, he he was he was a good player. He he knew where he knew where the ball was going to go, and he was always on the spot at the right time. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a bit of a spanner in the works with my number five. I was. Uh, I was thinking, you know, Jared Hayne, but I, I just just couldn't put it on the consistency side with Jared Hayne. It just, I don't think, you know, 09, what a season, but 
just not consistent enough. I couldn't bear to pick him. So I'm going to go Tim Brasher. Um, you know, Tim Tim Brasher, you know, different era, a little bit different era. Um, but, um, you know, obviously today's generation don't know too much about Tim Brasher, but, you know, he was a, he was a good, he was a good fullback. He was tough. Um, probably tough, toughest one out of, out of all the fullbacks we see today, especially with the era he played in. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to have to go Tim Brasher for number five. Yeah, very nice. I think some other guys I had up there, you know, Ben Barber, you look at him at the Sharks as well as at that time he had at the Dogs in 2012. Um, Matty Bowen at the Cowboys. Um, Clinton Shakovsky down at the Raiders. Oh, Clinton, yeah. 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 Um, Darren Walkier and obviously Greg Inglis. Probably. What about what about Brett Hodson? He was yeah. so small, so skinny. Apparently, he would never do any weight session. It was just pointless for him to do any weight session. But he was so tough. Yeah. And he and he grinded every game out. You know that fullback role. He, he wasn't scared of the opposition whatsoever. Yeah, I mean Brett Hodson was probably my first favorite player in the league. You know, growing up as a Tigers fan. But yeah, I think that. Um, everyone sort of unfortunately remembers him for that ragdoll tackle with Gordon Tallis. But I think, you know, there were so many great games that um, Brett Hodgson had along the way. You know, he scored 30 points in a finals game. You know, that's just unheard of, you know, these days. So, yeah, um, great player. Yeah, there's certainly some interesting fullbacks that have been named. Look, I guess if I'm going to name five or top five, number one is probably Billy Slater. Just... As you mentioned, Tom, I don't think there's been a fullback that has managed to revolutionise the game that revolutionised the game in the way that he did. Sort of just his support play he was probably that one of those first fullbacks that we saw. That doesn't matter if it was a forward, a fellow back, if it was Cronk, he was always there in support, always there just to sniffing around and just just looking to just absolutely fly through whatever hole that there was, whether it was to score, whether it was to to lay the ball off, I think it, it, it's could arguably could arguably be one of the best support plays, if not the best that we've probably seen in the last 20 to 30 years. Number two, I am going to go Jared Hayne. I think as much as we do talk about 2009, which obviously, especially since from round 17 or 18 or whenever it was, like that's probably the greatest patch of form you're going to see in in that that space of time probably ever. I think a lot of what he did, especially from about 2010 to 2012, even 2013, obviously the Eels were my team. The Eels were pretty pretty terrible during those years, but he was always he was always the one constant figure. If you were going to score points, if you were going to make opportunities, he was going to be your guy because there were certainly some very average players playing alongside him in terms of the halves and that couldn't create. So I think the onus was on him to do all of it. He didn't do, didn't do all of it regularly, but he did enough that it was at least scoring enough points to make himself look half decent. Of course, never, never again reaching that 2009 form. Number three, I am going to go Darren Lockyer. I know most people see him as a 5'8", but many do forget that from 97 to 2003, he probably was regarded as the best fullback in the game. And you only have to listen to guys like Tim Sheens who pretty much say that it was Darren Lockyer that, that pioneered the way the fullback position is now, and that is a ball-playing fullback. So essentially that guy that is going to be at second receiver that you don't have to worry about they can't pass. They're just going to run. They can't create. And obviously, that foresh- that foreshadowed Lockyer's eventual move to 5'8". So I think just in terms of what he was able to bring to the table as a as a pure ball player in an era where teams were probably expecting that your halves were going to be the ones that would do would do all the legwork when it came into attack. It just put the Broncos in such such a better position. Number four, probably going to go with Anthony Minicello. I think, as Joey touched on, he was he was very much that old school fullback. He had did did have a little bit of ball ball playing ability, but not as much as we see today or as Lockie. But he was just fearless. You know, he he'd, 
he'd catch the ball, catch the ball, catch the bomb, whatever kick it was, and he would just just run in a straight line. And and you know you can't ask much more from your fullback if they're they're fearless like that. They just that's what you want. Just a fullback that's just not afraid to cut the ball up and put your team in as good a position as possible to to charge down the field. And probably number five, I'm going to go Brett Stewart, the prince of the prince of Brookvale. You know, I mean, the the sheer number of tries that he was able to score, considering that he did miss quite a decent number of games and and overall seasons, I guess, eventually with the, you know with his knee injuries, and it obviously did affect him as as he got into the back end of his career. But I think, as Joey said too, just he had a sixth sense. You know, whether it was whether it was Lion, Foran, Cherry Evans, whoever it was, that little dab would go into the in goal or, you know, a little chip kick. And who was there was Brett Stewart. He just, he knew where to be, what he had to do. And it's why he's regarded as, you know, one, one of Manly's best. So, but then it's, there's just been too many fullbacks, you know, like we, we probably pick our top five and then you ask us next week and it might change again. It's, that's just the nature of the game. Reese West is another one, you know. What a blinder of a season he had in 03. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, obviously another guy that sort of played a little bit of fullback, a little bit of 5'8", but Preston Campbell as well. Of course. Told he was too small to play and look at the career that he had. Yeah, and, you know, there's even all those forgotten guys. You look at someone like Amos Roberts, you know, someone we haven't heard of for years, but his speed was just unbelievable, you know. Um, so, yeah. Plenty of, plenty of great fullbacks, and I'm sure, you know, if we're looking at guys like Kale and Ponga, you know, that this list could be very different in five years' time. That's very true. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up there for episode two of Take the Two, and we'll catch everyone next week. Thank you, fellas. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. See you guys. Bye.